I don't know about you, but, and let me know if this happens to you, but I find myself at, at, at random moments on random days thinking about moments of my past from a childhood, right? I don't know what triggers it, but has anyone else experienced that, right? There's a number of uh, childhood stories that just constantly reoccur to me at random moments. And so I thought, uh, to continue my thought, why don't I tell you a few, okay? Uh, so I'm going to tell you one which is bad and then one that's good just to balance the bad one, right? But this is, this is probably the worst thing that eight-year-old Tyler did uh, in his younger years, all right? So, so brace yourself for this because this, this isn't good at all. Um, but does anyone know the Bowling Green in Ballybean? Is anyone familiar with the Bowling Green there, right? Right beside the Bowling Green in Ballybean, there's a recycling point, okay? And beside the, recyc re the recycling point, uh, there's a clothing bank, a charity clothing bank, right? One of those big metal things. When I was eight years old, I set one of those on fire, okay? So not, not my finest moment, okay? But before you think I was a complete brat and my parents didn't raise me properly, um, around the same time as around the same age in primary school, uh, this story just is, is frequently in my head. There was a boy in, in my class and I noticed that he was a little bit excluded from the, the rest of the class. And so I, I remember making a decision in one moment, to look out for him. I remember making, oh, stand on things. I remember making a, a decision to try and help him, to, to integrate him back into, into the, the life of, of the class and with the rest of the classmates. But I've been thinking recently, why do I remember what I remember? Why do some moments of my childhood stick out to me? Why did some moments make such an impression to me uh, that meant to this day I still remember them frequently at random moments during the day, right? I think there's a number of uh, reasons why that happens. Maybe the novelty or the, the uniqueness of such moments causes them to stand out um, in my recollection of, of younger Tyler. But I think one thread, one reason is because of the profound battle I went through in my conscience during those moments. Both those moments, I remember the battle that I had in my conscience, either at the, the, uh, during the event of whatever went on or else after it. I remember the, the battle that I went through. And I say all that to say this, that the conscience is a powerful thing. The conscience is a powerful thing. So powerful it is that many men and women through the centuries have been willing to pay the ultimate price. They've been willing to lay down their life in order to pursue and be faithful to what their conscience attested as good and right and pleasing. What is our conscience? Well, uh, you could describe our conscience as a sixth sense, right? Our conscience is this inbuilt, innate awareness of right and wrong in our lives. It's an inner voice that we're all familiar with. It pleads with us and pleads with us and pleads with us to make the right decision. 
When um, Christian philosophers or scientists try to argue for the necessity of the existence of God, often they'll talk about something called the moral argument. Uh, We're not going to get into that tonight. But the, uh, the moral argument is this, that there is this universal code for all people of all centuries, of all tribes, this code of morality that is inbuilt into who we are as people. That there's a universalness to this moral law within us. That across all people of all spans of life, that there is agreement about what is good and what is bad. If you want to pursue that uh, further, uh, speak to Pip or myself, um, and we can point you to some good resources. One book in particular that's helpful for that, I find, is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. There's a few chapters in there on the moral argument. But we know that because of the fall, because of sin entering the world, in Genesis chapter 3, that everything went corrupt, everything went fallen, everything got spoilt. Our conscience in the middle of that God spoiled. Now humanity are not following their conscience to the letter. But now humanity are rebelling. Rebelling against their conscience. What's a better description of, of you or me? Is it a, a clean or a clear conscience? Do we have a clear conscience or do we have a calloused conscience? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says this. It, it talks about us having a seared conscience. A seared conscience. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul talks about how we can have a defiled conscience. And Paul goes on to explain what a defiled conscience is. Paul says that a defiled conscience is a conscience which has reversed. A conscience which calls good what is actually Bad to believers, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says this Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's chapter 10, verse 22, but two verses later it says, Keep on practicing good works. And love. See, a calloused conscience is a conscience which is ignoring that inner voice that God has placed on the inside of us. A calloused conscience is a, a, conscious, a conscience which feels the conviction of doing the right thing but ignores it. One uh, commentator that, that talks about a calloused conscience. Uh, talks about it using the analogy of frostbite, okay? Um, I can't think about, about frostbite without thinking about frostbite and the frostbite boy um, who uh, was on UTV live news and, become a, and became a national sensation after his interview. But one commentator talks about frostbite being similar to us having a calloused conscience. With frostbite... If you enter the cold and it's extremely cold and you don't have gloves, from what I understand, I've never been in this situation, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you'll begin to feel it. It'll hurt. Your hands will start to swell and hurt. And see, that's bad. It's it's bad when your hands hurt. 
But what's worse is when they stop hurting. When you can no longer feel your hands. When the nerve endings are damaged. And see, similarly, I wonder tonight, are, are there aspects of our lives that have become numb to God speaking to us through our conscience that God has placed there within us? See, for me let, me, let me help us think about this. I notice my conscience is becoming a little bit calloused, okay? When I start to do things, say things, and think things, that a few months ago or a few years ago, I couldn't imagine myself doing or saying or thinking. I noticed my conscience becoming calloused and not really listening to, to God speaking to me through my conscience. When, when gossip becomes a habit in my life, when I'm no longer holding my tongue, but rather I'm joining in on the gossip or the slander around me. I notice I have a callous conscience when I say to God, God, come and help me in this part of my life. I need your intervention. I need your help. I need your power to be manifest in this situation. Please, Lord, come through. But then I say, God, not that bit of my life, not that area of my life. In fact, I don't even get to that stage of saying that to God because I'm trying to ignore it. I'm trying to run away from it. I'm trying to hide from what's going on in that aspect of my life. I know that I have a callous conscience when I stop asking God for his opinion. When I follow the flesh without asking God, God, how is it, what is it that you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to respond to this situation? I have a callous conscience and I realize it when I'm no longer asking God for his agenda in my life, asking him for his plans and his ways, when I'm no longer asking him for how I should spend my money or how I should spend my free time. But how do we have a clear conscience? How do we get there? How do we achieve this area of having a clear conscience? I've talked a little bit about me and the bad things I've done, like setting a uh, closed bank on fire, amongst other things. How do we have a clear conscience? How do we have a clear conscience before God? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9 says this. It's speaking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, and it says, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshipper. When these worshippers in the Old Testament brought of what they had, the best of what they had, bringing to God an unblemished lamb, the firstborn, that lamb coming from themselves, coming from their own inner strength or their own resource, it couldn't cleanse their conscience. It couldn't give them a clear Conscience. See, every effort from ourselves to live with a clear conscience will not work. We cannot make amends, right? It doesn't matter how much clothes then I gave to charity after. It still doesn't atone for it. It still doesn't erase that moment in the past. Hebrews 10, verse 22, again, let me read it to you. It says this, Let us draw near then. Let us draw near them with a 
true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hebrews 10, 22. See, there's an expectation here that we have an evil conscience, right? That we have a calloused conscience. There's an expectation here that we need sprinkled clean, that we need cleansed with pure water. And then there's a command to draw near. To draw near. How do we draw near? Let me read 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we come near to God by confessing our sins. See, Christ has made a way for us. We couldn't make a way out of ourselves from our own strength, from our own accolades and plaudits and our own resource. We weren't strong enough. We didn't cut it. But Christ died. Christ did something for us to atone, to make amends, to undo, to wipe the slate clean, to press the restart button on our lives. See, we don't need to be perfect. We need to look to the perfect one. This God is called the faithful and just God. In 1 John 1 verse 9, Faithful and just. He was faithful and just in forgiving us of our sins when we confess them to him. But how is this God just? How is he just? Did God just look away from sin and say, do you know what? I'll forget about it. Do you know what? I won't look at it. If he did that, he wouldn't be just. And he wouldn't be faithful. So instead, Christ really died. God, in the form of Christ, really died for us and paid the price so that we could have a clear conscience before God. See, there was a cosmic transaction that happened, a cosmic transaction whereby what Christ is and his holiness and his righteousness and his purity then was put onto us. This is incredible news. This is the best news. See, Christ made a way for us to have a clear conscience. See, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter about the stories or the things that haunt us or come back to us or the stories of old. In Christ, we can truly have a clear conscience. Why? Because he truly did pay the way for you to have a clear conscience in Christ. He didn't just look by it. He didn't just overlook it. But he really died for you. He really died in your stead. And so how do we find a clear conscience? We find a clear conscience by sheltering ourselves in the cross of Christ and in all that he has done for us. And we have a clear conscience by attentively living in obedience to him from now forth. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 says this. Paul is speaking and he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Don't you know who is saying these words? This man who, for much of his time, has spent it pursuing Christians. 
to persecute them and to murder them. This man who is giving murderous threats to these, these Christians of the first century in Palestine. This Paul is saying, I have a clear conscience. My conscience is clear. Why was Paul's conscience clear? Because he was sin-free? Well, he definitely wasn't sin-free if he was trying to murder Christians. But Tyler, maybe he's been sin-free since his conversion, and that's why he can say, I have a clear conscience. No. Paul tells us in Romans that he, he is subject to sin, that he does the things that he does not want to do. So here, here's this guy who is subject to sin, just like all of us, just like me. And he is saying, I have a clear conscience. Paul had a clear conscience before God. In Matthew 5, we read about this idea where Jesus speaks to the people in the Sermon on the Mount and he says, before you come to the altar, when you come to the altar with your sacrifices and your offerings, if your heart is not right with a brother or a sister, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and make it right with that person. Similarly, when we come to the Lord's table on a Sunday morning here at Dundon Leelam, we encourage something similar before you partake of this bread. We want to eat it in a worthy manner. And see, we want to examine ourselves. We want to make sure that, that, that we have made our peace with people, that, that we haven't wronged anyone, where we have asked for forgiveness, where we need to ask for forgiveness. What's the idea there? What's, what's going on there? The, the idea is this. God wants you. He doesn't want a pretense. He doesn't want you with a mask on. He doesn't want a souped-up version of you that looks pretty. God wants you just as you are. In your mess, in your sin, in your shame, in your guilt. See, this table isn't for the perfect. And a clear conscience isn't for the perfect. But it's for the honest and the willing. For those that are able and willing to say, God, I know I don't have it all together. God, I know I'm subject to sin. I'm subject to being fallen. I still feel the, the extent of, of the fall of my life. But God, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to your sacrifice for me, to cover me, to cleanse me, and to help me in this moment. See, this table isn't for the perfect, but it's for you. And it speaks to us this powerful message that God accepts us. He accepts us the way we are. See, God likes you. God loves you, but he likes you. He likes you. He made you the way that you are with your quirks, with your personality, with the things that you wish you didn't have or the things that were different about you. God loves that about you. And God died for you. And God wants you to come honestly and openly before him and to receive a clear conscience from him. Is your conscience clear? A clear conscience mattered to Paul. Listen to these words. Acts 24 verse 16. So I always take pains 
to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Paul is saying, I'm striving to live in this clear conscience, knowing that Christ has given me this clear conscience, but from that moment, I constantly want to be back at his feet, confessing my sin and being reminded again of his glorious grace that, that has been lavished on my life. But Paul is saying, in my conduct with others, I want to have a clear conscience. See, the word will tell us, ignore your conscience. True freedom, true joy, true happiness, true satisfaction is found in living the way that you want to, doing the things that you want to, not caring about the regrets that you might make, but God says, listen to your conscience. See, a calloused conscience is like the maggots which spoil the fruit. It's like the, the foxes that, that spoil the vineyard. See, Satan is after our conscience. He wants to numb our conscience like frostbite. He wants to numb us from God's voice so that we can only hear the taunts of him. I don't know about you, but not so long ago I asked God, God, I want to hear your voice in more clarity. I want to know your speaking voice. And recently in church, we've given a lot of time to try and press in and, and hear the voice of, God, voice of God, which has been great. But, but a while ago, I, I remember coming to God with this plea and I remember the Lord speaking back to me and said, well, listen to your conscience. Listen to the voice that I've put on the inside of you. I'm speaking to you. I'm guiding you. I'm wanting to bring you into the place that you ought to be in. See, Satan wants to tell us that we have no power over sin and temptation in our life, but we know in Christ, because he has put his spirit in us, that the spirit quickens us, that the spirit strengthens us, that the spirit enables us to overcome sin in our lives. But I've found in my life that one thing that a calloused, con a calloused conscience does and Satan tries to do is to lower the stakes of sin in my life. To say that it doesn't really matter. Do it and sure there'll, there'll be forgiveness at the end of it. But see, the truth is, if it breaks God's heart, why do we think it would fulfill ours? Why do we think that's where liberty and life is? See, Satan wants to lower the stakes for us. But see, in a hypothetical situation for us, if uh, you were faced with this dilemma, that if you give in to that particular sin, then you will surely die in that spot. If that was the hypothetical situation, then it would be no effort, no effort at all for you to overcome that sin. See, what does that tell us? That tells us that we've lowered the stakes of sin in our lives. See, God wants to give us a clear conscience, a clear conscience in all aspects of our lives. And see, there is true liber liberty in knowing that our, we have a clear conscience. How do we come to church 
a while ago, I wrote it in my, my journal. It was a number of years ago, but I remember the Lord was challenging me about my posture of openness. We've talked a lot about that, but our, my posture of openness is I come to meet with God on a Sunday. How do I come to him? Do I come as a, as a, uh, a skeptical, not a skeptical, but a, a critical um, expert preacher in the pews who's out to score uh, the preacher that Sunday? Is that my posture that I've adopted when I come on Sundays? And the Lord challenged me and said, Tyler, if your conversation is more about how good the sermon was and not about what God spoke to you, then there's something wrong. What is our posture? Is it, God, come and speak to me? Is it, God, come and expose my heart? God, come and reveal to me the, the inner things in me that you need to deal with? See, the Bible says that, or the Bible, says that the Bible is a two-edged sword which cuts us which cuts at at our innermost being between bone and flesh, bone and marrow. See, this book is meant to speak into our souls. And God said to me, if you come with a willingness, if you come with expectation, if you come listening to your conscience and God's speaking voice in you, ready to hear, attentive to your spirit, I will speak and do in you a work. Romans chapter 2 verse 14 to 16 says this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. That's what we talked about earlier, about this idea of this this universal moral um, consciousness. It goes on. They show that the work of the law is written in their, on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse and even excuse them. See, there's two aspects to your conscience here. There's an aspect which accuses and there's an aspect which excuses. And see, we've talked a lot about that aspect which accuses us. Right? This aspect of our conscience which highlights the good things, or, or, or sorry, the wrong things in our lives. But there's another aspect to our conscience. This aspect which excuses us. Right? This aspect of our conscience which, which tells us in any given situation that we are affirmed by God. That God, through our conscience in certain situations, certain situations affirms us and tells us that we're in the right we see this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. The Corinthian church is accusing Paul of all sorts of different things. And Paul says to them, my testimony is my conscience, that, I've, that I have acted in sincerity before you. And see, at this table, we have the opportunity of coming before God with a clear conscience, and so when, when, we, when we don't have that clear conscience, we miss out on what God wants to do for us. See, the world tells us that follow your conscience. But actually, God is saying to us that there's joy, that there's liberty, that there's freedom you can have when you follow your conscience and when you're affirmed by God in any given situation that you find yourself. See, in God, in Him alone, there is true joy, true satisfaction, better than any earthly gains, better than anything that this world can conjure up for us. 
And so in pursuing a clear conscience, if the band want to join me on the stage, there's a cost in that. It'll cost us friends. You're never going to be the popular guy when you choose not to join in the gossip or the slander of that work colleague. You're never going to be the popular guy which chooses with your friends to, to clock in at the right time instead of the wrong time. But see, so often when we think of this subject of sin, we think of God as this cosmic fun sponge, right? That is out to steal our fun from us. But far more than that, far more than that, God wants to give us something great, something precious. He wants to give us a clear conscience. A clear conscience that we can gain by reminding ourselves and confessing our sin and coming to the cross of Christ, knowing that Calvary, knowing that Calvary covers it all, covers past, present, and future. And from gazing upon this sacrifice, gazing upon this moment in history where God demonstrated his great love for us by gazing on that moment, finding the strength and the willingness to pursue a clear conscience all the days of our lives, to make it right with those that we need to make it right with. Knowing that we don't need to be perfect, but knowing that we can come to him and receive, again, a clear conscience and the liberty, and the liberty that comes from knowing that in God, before the judge of the earth, we are acquitted. There is nothing better There is nothing more satisfying, more liberating than knowing that truth, that we have been liberated by Almighty God, and He has paid a way for our wrongdoing. Is that your experience tonight? Do you know that? Do you know that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, tonight, your conscience is cleared before him when we confess our sin to him who is just and faithful. He will forgive us, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Do you know that? See, I, I have some profound things in my life that, that ought to be regretted, right? There are things that I wish I didn't do. There are people that I have hurt there are situations that I found myself in that I just shouldn't have been in. I haven't always been a Christian and, and with that comes a past and a pattern. But even in my Christian days, there's things in my life that I'm not aware of that are, are, are there's things in my life, sorry, that I wouldn't just share from this pulper from a, from a whim. But tonight I have experienced this. Have you? Tonight, if you experience the cleansing flow of Christ, I believe that tonight God wants to set some of you free. He wants to set some of you free from the guilt of the past, of the shame of the past. And so tonight, as we stand to our feet and worship, why don't you jump to your feet right now as we enter into a song of praise? But why don't you offer that as we sing about 
the work of Christ on the cross and the things that he has done for us to make a way, why don't you bring those things to the fore and say, God, I know that you've covered me. I know that you've covered it all. The Calvary really does cover it all. And tonight as we worship, I really just sensed in my, in my planning of this talk that there's someone here who, who you, you carry a guilt, you carry a weight, and God doesn't want you to carry it anymore. That something happened and you tell yourself, if only I did this, if only I did that. No, you know it wasn't your fault. But you tell yourself, if only I did this or that. And God wants to say to you, no. Your conscience is clear. You can be liberated from that place. And if you're a non-Christian in here tonight, I want to encourage you. There is nothing sweeter. There is nothing better than this God, than this Jesus, than this Savior who made a way to cleanse us, to free us, to liberate us, to give us a new start. He, in Christ, we literally are new creations. In Christ, we literally get to press that restart button. And guess what? See, when we fall and trip up, we get to press it again. Come to that God. No longer cover your conscience with a callus that blocks out his voice, but maybe just maybe tonight is the night where you will bow your knee and give your life to Christ. There would be no better night for it and there is no better decision that you will make. There is testimony upon testimony in this room of God's faithfulness, of God's transforming power. And he's here to give it to you, to extend his grace to you. Why don't you, in the quietness of your heart as we sing, give your life to him. And if you've done that, tell a neighbor. Or if you're joining us online, why don't you drop us a message via the Facebook Messenger?